Life Management Science Labs would like to acknowledge that we live and produce this podcast on the traditional lands of the Wurundjeri people. We'd also like to acknowledge the traditional owners of the lands of our listeners and our international colleagues. We'd like to pay our respects to their elders past, present and emerging. Hey everyone and welcome to All Together, the Family Science Insights Podcast, produced by LMSL, the Life Management Science Labs. We are champions of life management science, providing structured insights informed by science and inspired by practice on key aspects of conscious living. Each week we bring you scientific and practical insights on each element with the expert knowledge of professionals in the field. I'm your host, Dina Sargent. Let's get started. Hey guys, and welcome back to another episode. Now, family relationships can either be conflicting, nurturing, or even a safe space for each family member. Sometimes individuals also see those relationships very differently. With today's topic, we're joined by the founder of Art Therapy based in Melbourne, Sumay Tan. How are you going today? Very good. My name is Sumay Tan and it's actually Art Therapy. Art Therapy? Oh, yeah, okay. like cup of tea. Oh, that's really cool. <laughs> that's a lot cooler than I thought. Now, as a professional on the show today, what is your role in helping families acknowledge and build that communication through Art Therapy? My role started with working with individuals. So mm-hmm. like, I work primarily with individual um, children and adults mm-hmm. who have disabilities. And I saw that there was a need to work more systemically with them. Mm-hmm. Because like often when I worked with an individual, there were so many like family relations, things that was going on in school mm-hmm. and so on. And so I decided to have a bit of a training in family therapy mm-hmm. and I I haven't really joined the two together as much okay. yet yeah because like I worked as a family therapist for a year and I've been working with art therapy mm-hmm. in for individuals okay yeah okay now with that being said now you're the as well as being the founder you're also working as an art therapist yourself what has been one of the most common frustrations that you found a lot of families go through when trying to build that communication? I think one of the frustrations for me was because being the founder of my private practice art therapy, I saw the need for families to get more involved. Mm -hmm. But the reality is, even though I have built up the skill to be able to work with families, I haven't had as many families take that offer on board because like even if I come to them and tell a parent that I will be able to work with them in sessions for their child Mm -hmm. or for a child to be able to support their elderly parent Mm -hmm. I haven't really found that families have taken me up on that offering okay yeah so a lot of it's been one individual coming to Mm. you and saying this is I need help in that but the family's not willing to really come in and join in Mm. And really see the benefit of it, I guess, as yeah, well. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's interesting. And it's very rare that I actually get families who come in voluntarily, mm-hmm. even when I used to work as a family therapist outside my private practice. Mm-hmm. A lot of the families that uh, I worked in were mandated to come okay. for therapy, for family therapy mm-hmm. by child protection. And it wasn't actually their choice to be there. Okay, yeah. yeah. So can I ask when it comes to some of the clients that you have as a individual practice, what are the age ranges when it comes to the kind of people that sort of come in? I work with clients as young as seven year old. Okay. 
to 65 year old. Wow. Okay. Yeah. So it's usually just one individual come in and say, this is what I need help in. Yeah. So no, that's, that's really fascinating. Actually, Not often only the individual coming in that's saying they need help. Usually okay. that will be more for adults who come in by choice. Okay. But a lot of time, like if a child comes in, it's more their parents who think that um, they will benefit from it. And the parents do kind of make uh, a really um, a, a, an effort to kind of send their child in, mm -hmm. but very rarely would they come into the therapeutic space with them. Oh, wow. Yeah. No, that's that's actually very fascinating. They think the child can do something yeah. with it, but they don't see themselves as doing, as finding the benefit within it as well. So that's, no, that's a very interesting sort of point that you've brought up. Now, that's such a great introduction to our show. But before we go through with it and we go a little further, I'd love to get to know some of your recommendations as well as some of your interests when it play, playing our favorite game, which is called a nice little icebreaker. So to start off with, what is the most recent book that you've read? The most recent book that I've read was Mating in Captivity. Okay. <laughs> okay. So what's the bio behind that book as well uh it's a book by esther perel okay and i read it just because i have a lot of interest in kind of couples therapy mm -hmm. even though i don't do it very much mm -hmm. but like it's it's generally a a topic that interests me because for me in a family mm -hmm. it's so important that the couple is aligned and there is yeah. a lot of breakdown in families where that is not a priority. Mm -hmm. So it was just very interesting to kind of see how the author kind of put it put it through with um their no their observations of kind of why mm -hmm. why certain one one member of the couple might act a certain way and the other and especially with my family therapy training yeah i learned that everything is a system so it's not like someone is like purposely trying to do something mm -hmm. but a lot of the time it's like what everyone else in that system is doing mm -hmm. and then the person kind of reacts to it so i could really see that in the book yeah. with how um she was talking about like how say like if you're going to be binary about it like men and women but she also talks about like same-sex couples and stuff mm -hmm. how like there's a dominant or less dominant person and the yeah. roles that people take in those kind of um okay yeah yeah no i kind of also see always relationships to me always just reminds me of like the animal kingdom one is a little bit of a more predator mm. one is more of a prey yeah. one's just a little bit less dominating than the other so no that that book sounds very interesting when yeah. it comes to looking in depth into how couples really work yeah. now to move on what is the movie that you would recommend to our viewers today oh, i don't know to be honest like i'm not very i'm not someone that consumes a lot of culture okay which is quite strange in our day and age because like if you put me in a table especially especially like TV and movies, mm -hmm. I just don't, I don't find myself occupying my, myself yeah. that much with that. Okay. But um, the one that I watched recently was the Michelle, Michelle Yeoh. I'm from Malaysia and Michelle Yeoh is one of our like yeah. um, pride and joys of becoming our 
very um, well-renowned actor. Okay. And it, it was that what like, everything, everywhere, all at once. Oh, yes. I think yeah. that was the name of the movie. And I did actually go to the cinema to watch that. Oh, wow. And um, it was a very interesting movie. Mm-hmm. Very, because it was like all Asian cast as well. Yeah. And um, for them to kind of put out such like... Uh, um, broad-minded and mm-hmm. innovative movie like that was just very very inspiring to see yeah yeah no, i um i i think my whole family and i we cried when michelle Yeoh won some of yeah. won some of the awards it was amazing because my mom is from malaysia as well is so she? yeah oh which so, part um clung clung yeah <laughs> So she, when we were, the whole family of all of us were just watching the awards and we were like, she won, she actually won. Yeah. The fact that it's taken her this long to win something was also what really made us cry as well. Like she put in so much effort with everything that she's done. And this is the movie that gets her the most credit. Yeah. So no, that, that movie was amazing. I think because it wasn't all, it was an all Asian cast as well. I think that's really what set it apart from everything else so yeah i can definitely see how that's a movie that we would recommend today and i do recommend you got anyone seeing it because i think it's such a visually it's such a an amazing movie that was sort of fits in the day and age that we're going into as well when it comes to how social media works how life really works and how we see life in like a multi-dimensional sense and family as well it was so much about like family dynamics Uh and like, I think I related a bit to that teenager. <laughs> I think yeah. all teenagers, like all of us, before, as teenagers, yeah. we all did. Yeah. We all related to how that, in any sense, we related to how she felt throughout the whole yeah. film. But we, yeah. I also somehow related to the mum yeah. in such a big Definitely. way. So, yeah, it's, it's a movie that I'm glad that you recommended yeah. for us to see. Now, going into podcasts. What is a podcast that has really stood out to you? Mm. Again, I I have to admit that I don't actually listen to that many podcasts. Okay. But two that I have come across and I can't say that I know it very well. I haven't like listened to all the episodes or mm. anything like that. But the two that stood out to me were one is the Fat Moon podcast, which is about um, is is an art therapist who interviews like lots of different art therapists, not mm-hmm. just in Australia but around the world as well, okay. to give a real awareness and idea of what art therapy is. Yeah. The Fat Moon podcast. Okay. And another one that I kind of briefly in kind of listened to was the Third Culture Therapy. Okay. Yeah, because okay. I ad- I identify as being a third culture kid, ma- lived in like many different countries and mm-hmm. being absor- absorbing lots of different cultures, not just the one that I was born to. Mm-hmm. And that is a podcast that kind of really highlights that, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, as third culture therapy. Okay, well, that th- those are two that really, I think the Fat Moon one is really interesting, mm-hmm. but I also think the third... What was the second one called again? The Culture Therapy. The Culture Therapy. I yeah. think that one is such a amazing... I, I think because me growing up, I'm always... I've traveled everywhere, growing up traveling everywhere. I don't identify as one 
I don't identify as Australian. I don't identify as Malaysian, nor do I identify as New Zealander. So it's like three completely different things. So I think that's something that I'm really going to look up and listen to a bit because I feel like that would relate to me a whole lot. (laughs) Now, do you have a person that you find yourself looking up to? I do. I think when you mentioned it, it was meant to be... was it someone famous or just anyone? It can. Be, it doesn't have to be someone famous. Okay. It can be, but yeah. a lot of our, a lot of our guests that I've had previously find themselves relating to someone who's a little who's not really famous. So yeah. it can be up to you how you interpret it. That. Oh, I think for me it would not be a, a celebrity, but like for me, I really look up to my father, mm-hmm. and I gain a lot of his values in life and the way he relates to people mm-hmm. and um, and he got that from his father. So yeah. like indirectly also my grandfather. Mm-hmm. So my my father and my grandfather were both quite significant people in the community in Malaysia. Mm-hmm. They fought a lot for social justice mm-hmm. and did a lot for... Um, lots of marginalized communities mm-hmm. in Malaysia. Yeah. So I kind of gained that kind of same value mm-hmm. because because it was celebrated in my family. Yeah. It's weird because like in lots of Malaysian Chinese families wealth is celebrated. So like it's yeah. about like getting rich or fame or whatever, but somehow in my family that is not the thing that was celebrated. Yeah. The thing that was celebrated from which was passed on from my dad was actually to do things in the community and like give something back. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I learned a lot from him and even though he was very busy, he had lots of uh, responsibilities in the mm-hmm. community and a lot of people relied on him. Mm-hmm. He actually maintained that personable space in the family he was like that person that brought my mom and I together I never felt that he was neglecting me Mm -hmm. I always felt he had space for me Mm -hmm. um which it was different from my grandfather because when my grandfather was working in the community he did not have that same space which my dad had for me Okay. in the family so, so I think he learned from yeah. that and made it different when he started his family wow sort of like intergenerational lessons learned yeah. and sort of passed down so that's no that's amazing that's why I love changing it to a person you look up to rather than just a yeah. famous role model because no. you can look at celebrities and say okay yeah I love them for this certain thing but yeah. I think having a family if you found a family dynamic that really works or like someone in your family that like your dad who really was there for you, but also there for a community, I think that's such a great role model to have and person to look up to. So Mm -hmm. no, thank you for sharing that with us. No worries. And now going into academic pursuit, um, what's been one course that has really stuck to you to this day? I think it was the Masters of Art Therapy that I did. Okay. And um, I did that. That was my third degree when I came to Australia. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I moved I moved country specifically to follow my dream to become an art therapist. Because yeah. when I heard about art therapy, which was quite late in life, mm-hmm. it just felt that that was something that I had already been doing for myself for my whole life mm-hmm. and 
I prior to that I had kind of put my hands in lots of different buckets, trying lots of different things. Yeah. And that was exciting, going around the world, trying different things. Mm-hmm. But when I came to Melbourne and I went to La Trobe to study art therapy as a master's course, that was something that finally I started like starting building something. And then from okay. then on, after I did that, I started my private practice mm-hmm. while working full time. For five years yeah. and after I did that I still pursue, pursued other courses as well. I mm-hmm. went on to do honours in social practice and then I did, uh, I started doing family therapy mm-hmm. but then I would say my core is art therapy mm-hmm. because when I did that it's kind of like everything that I had been doing finally started coming together. Wow. Yeah. No, I think, yeah, that seems like the greatest balance between both what you love doing and what you feel really passionate about. So art therapy definitely seems like it's such a new, like I was telling you, it's such a new thing for me to to hear about. And it's such a new thing for me, a new concept as well for me to learn about. So I'm so excited to get stuck into that and learn a whole lot more about it today. Now, thank you for sharing some of your recommendations talking about family today and talking about the different dynamics that family has, the different communication that family has, what do you think is, what do you think is, makes a family and what, how would you define what family is? I think it's without doubt that like family, there is a blood tie there, Mm -hmm. you know, the people that you are biologically linked to. Mm -hmm. Um, that being said, I think there are variations from that in this day and age of how close you are to those people. Mm-hmm. But in my family and in my culture, that kind of blood tie is very strong. Yeah. And even though my family have moved away from like the traditional Chinese culture of like ancestral worship and that kind of thing, because mm-hmm. most um, in in Chinese families, they used to like, you know, pay respects to the elders and like Mm -hmm. um, respect and worship the ancestors. My family have moved away from that because like we became Christian. Okay. But the ties are still as strong because like whoever we are bonded to is Mm -hmm. so important. And my family, especially my dad's side of the family, made that very clear because even though we had moved and we had gone through the Asian diaspora, moved to like lots of different parts of the world, Mm -hmm. we still maintain that connection and we still meet up as larger families and we used to go on trips together and and we would um, travel together Mm -hmm. and meet up with each other with all the cousins and aunties and everything like that. So Mm -hmm. it's not, we're we're not so tradition, we're not so traditional in the sense that um, we only meet up during Chinese New Year or anything like that. Mm -hmm. But I do think that um, community is and support is definitely there because Mm -hmm. our family is like a support system for you. And sadly, in like as time went past and with things that happen in the family, whether it's intergenerational trauma or abuse or anything like that had happened, people aren't able to find that support from their family. Mm-hmm. And I would say I and 
that some of that has happened in my family. Mm-hmm. Um, but sometimes people find that support from people who are not through their blood ties. Yeah. And for me, having moved to Australia on my own mm-hmm. and um, I have been living away from my immediate family for since more than half my life because I went to England and then I yeah. travel and then I came here. So I have been able to find that kind of sense of family from people who are not like directly related to me yeah. and to be able to find that community and support. So I think like community and support is basically what family is. Okay, yeah. well, that's that's a great definition. Yeah. I've never heard of being described as a community, but I think that's such a great way to sort of define it. And I do agree when it comes to blood ties are very strong, especially yeah. like in my family. It's very similar where we're all very tied in together, even though it's a chaotic mess half the time, there is still that, um, that idea that we're always going to be intertwined. We're always going to find some way to be together, whether it's little trips or whether it's dinners or whether it's a FaceTime between all of us who, cause my, um, so my family live in New Zealand. So my family live in Malaysia and there's only just the four, the four immediate family that I have, but we always try to have like a FaceTime on certain like big holidays where everyone is around at the same place. Yeah. So there's still that need for connection with everyone. Exactly. So that you can never go away from family, even yeah. if no matter how hard you try to. So I think there's that whole need where it's like, yes, friends can still be your family or like community support can still be your family, but you'll always be somehow connected to blood relatives no matter yeah. what you do. So when it comes to your point as to how family is do you think that it still holds the same importance as well I think it's tough because like I do see a lot of people who don't have that support from their family mm-hmm. um so I think as cultures move away from being collectivistic mm-hmm. um there has been more emphasis on the individual, the individual finding their own way in life, mm-hmm. their freedom that they have to be away from their family, less burdens, less responsibilities for, for their families. Mm-hmm. So uh, I think a lot of culture, especially in places like Australia, mm-hmm. have been a lot more individualistic. Mm-hmm. And this is like across mainly Western societies where people have been kind of not forced but like I think it was celebrated to be free and celebrated to be individual Mm -hmm. Um, but then that has also been a repercussion where there has been less kind of support from the family because like once you are relating to family there is responsibilities there are Mm -hmm. um that you have to do things that you might not want to do. You have to make sacrifices and mm. stuff like that. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, so I do think that I, I I would say family does not have that kind of same importance mm-hmm. as they do now as it had in the past. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. No, I think that's a really good point because I think we sort of, we over and underestimate the importance of family. Mm. I feel like we focus so much on what a family is supposed to be rather than being like, okay, if they can't accept me for who I am, then 
is there, are they really family to begin with? So there is that question that always, like, I know a lot of my friends, we all have that complicated relationship with family Mm. um, of whether it's like going down your own path or going down a path that they don't really want to see you going down. So there's that sort of conflicting, like what I was saying earlier, there's either you can either be conflict or you can either have a nurturing family and some a bit more conflict than the other some are a bit more nurturing than the other so I think every family family is probably the most complicated little dynamic that you could possibly ever try to diagnose as well and try to understand so when it comes to having that communication between family members what would you say are the some of the key factors that really influence um the way that we communicate I think there is a lot of like I think family is the first place where you navigate being different Mm -hmm. from other people Mm -hmm. and if you can't navigate that in your family it'll be very hard for an individual to navigate that on outside life um that being said there is always like an expectation for parents to want their kids to be a certain way and then the kids wanting their parents to treat them a certain way. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think the the key thing with communication is that to be able to agree to disagree. Mm-hmm. And like if there if if either family members end up doing things just for the sake of the family Mm -hmm. just to please them just to think that is their role and not be able to communicate that you know they want to live life slightly differently Mm -hmm. that will put a lot of burden on the family especially if um like i i have seen you know my friends and i live through our differences in our families Mm -hmm both as parents and children. And there are many things like, um, you know, who you're going to marry or like um, if with cultures, they like who have arranged marriages and Mm -hmm. that kind of thing. And communication is the key. Communication is the key for that. Mm -hmm. And it's like how you communicate your difference Mm-hmm. that is going to kind of kind of like make or break how you relate to other people, especially when you start another family, start a family of your own away from the one that you were born in. Yeah. 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 No, I think that's that's a great point because they're so focused on trying to maintain that family. I think a lot of it, when you could talk about it socially as well, a lot of people don't want to, um, not every family member wants to sort of divulge the fact that you're having family issues or you're having family disagreements as well. So I think that's a big part of it. And um, so they don't really have that outside perspective to sort of try to understand that one individual who they think is causing trouble or they think is causing the disagreement because they don't really yeah. want to um, say that they're not getting along with the family member or they're not getting along with their child as well because I feel like um especially from a point of view of as a child as well like not a lot of parents um not a lot of parents want to say that they don't get along with their child because it seems like the worst thing in the world 
to be able to say or they're mm-hmm. having a fight with their child or um i i hardly ever want to tell anyone that i'm having a fight with a parent or i'm having a disagreement with them because as that sense of like i still want to protect them or i still want to mm-hmm. protect how people other people see them yeah so you don't want to sort of ruin which means that no one communicates no one talks about no one even acknowledges the fact that there is an issue or there is trouble because I think um especially in my household and I think it's a lot of Asian cultures from a lot of my friends as well is that we push things under the rug very easily like we just don't want to talk about situations we don't want to um we don't want to rock the boat we don't want to be that person that calls out behavior or calls out bad behavior or calls out the way that they shouldn't be communicating because I think like a lot of us, it's out of either respect or it's out of like the need to protect that one individual. So yeah, I've found like, like I said, relationships, family relationships are really difficult in trying to like be honest, but also wanting to protect them. Yeah. I think there is a sense of like protection, but then like with some of like the families that I work with, it was literally unsafe. Yeah. For them to stand out. Yeah. Because like for for me, I was quite a outspoken child when I was young, which is very rare for my culture. Mm-hmm. And I just kind of like was um I I wasn't afraid to rock the boat. Mm-hmm. And a lot of the time that caused a lot of fireworks in my family. Mm-hmm. Uh, but Later on, like for me now as an adult, Mm -hmm. I have the best relation with my parents Mm -hmm. because like I wasn't ashamed to show them like who the real person I am. Mm -hmm. And I I was, I went for like everything that I wanted for. I kind of like made them realize like this was exactly what I wanted, Mm -hmm. even though for years they didn't understand it. Even from from the career that I've chosen, from the partner that I've chosen and everything like that. It's just like so out of the blue for them to like think yeah. that I would be in this situation. Yeah. But like now that that's all done and dusted, mm-hmm. it's much easier for me to be real with them now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I know some people who weren't able to be that way with their family Mm. and it's kind of really kind of took a toll on them to like keep on living like that Mm. throughout their life through their through them starting a new family and everything like that it's Mm. kind of like taken a real toll of them yeah because they weren't able to speak up and but I do acknowledge that sometimes it is unsafe mm-hmm. for some family members to be themselves in that situation. Yeah. No, no, I think that that's a big yeah. thing. And like I, um, from my perspective, I have a younger sister who mm. had no shame in, in pretty much exactly how you were. Yeah. Just sort of like they said how they what they said, and they just had to deal with the consequences of yeah. it. Or my parents had to deal with the consequences of yeah. it. She, they were she was just very honest. I, however, was pretty much like everyone else, being absolute quiet, um, did not want to say anything that could possibly hurt 
another member, did not want to say anything that could be seen as disrespectful, um, wasn't honest with how I felt, sort of put everyone's needs above how I felt. And it was um, now that I'm older, there is that sense of I'm still doing that mm -hmm. as an adult to my parents where I'm saying the best things. I'm not saying what's really going on. I'm saying, oh, yeah, I'm fine as a sort of protective mechanism saying, making sure that they're all okay rather than I'm okay. And um, as I'm getting older, that relationship with my family is very, it's not strained, but it's very artificial. Mm. It's very like, it's very planted. Yeah. Like everything I tell them is very planted. It's making sure that um, my sister is okay. If, if, if my sister is causing a fight with them at the moment, then I'm like, the mediator between the two so it's kind of like every um that relationship is me just still being the defender of yeah. the family still being the one that making sure that um mom is talking to my sister my sister's talking to my mom my dad's talking to the both of them so it's um it's great as you get older no, i'm kidding but it's it's also very true to how you sort of divulge um, what family communication is, how important family communication is and being honest. So when it comes to art therapy, how, what role does that play in sort of building that communication, you know, building that strength in maybe one individual being a little bit more spoken and a little bit more heard out than other family members? Yeah. I think art therapy, usually when a family comes to me for art therapy, it is for various reasons. Because mm -hmm. like, I do see people with diagnosed disabilities. Mm -hmm. And a lot of time, if the family is sending them there, they identify that that is the person that needs to do the work. Yeah. Whereas like if, if I foresee like if in the s small amounts of family therapy that I've done in art therapy, mm -hmm. It would be a more level playing field because art therapy as a modality mm -hmm. is very non-hierarchical. Mm -hmm. It is more about like people communicating and it's not like a solution fixing kind of ther therapy. You know, mm -hmm. art therapy is not the kind of therapy where we'll be like, okay, what's your problem? Okay, we're going to fix it, mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. But art therapy is more about like expression and playfulness and curiosity and doing that. And like be, to be able to do that in a family setting, mm -hmm. it takes the pressure off that individual that was sending sent there for specifically for themselves. Mm -hmm. Like if the family is doing it, it's more about how they are communicating with each other. Mm -hmm. And with art therapy, there is also the element of nonverbal communication where people don't need to talk. Because sometimes I'm sure so many people, and you might also know this, that like if you just end up talking and talking, talking about the problem, talking mm -hmm. about what's going on, it just goes around in circles and it just gets more and more yeah. frustrating. And we call that being in your head because you're, like, you're constantly talking. Mm -hmm. But then when you make art, there is like a release that happens mm -hmm. and it is relaxing, it's fun mm -hmm. and it's not about creating a beautiful artwork. So like the family are there to, you know, just communicate and have fun and explore mm -hmm. what is going on for them mm -hmm. and express themselves. Mm -hmm. So it's just a lot of less, less pressure mm -hmm. than like 
coming in for, uh, for example, the kind of family therapy sessions that I used to work for, which is so like goal directed and Mm -hmm. like solution focused. And yeah. Yeah. So when it comes to the family art therapy, how do you not turn it into a competition between each, especially when it comes to like doing art? Because I find my, especially myself, I'm very competitive when it comes to art and it has to be um, perfect. It has to be great. Like, how do you get that out of your mind to saying, no, I'm just going to create whatever I feel like creating. It doesn't even have to make sense. It doesn't even have to be finished. It doesn't have to be great. How do you get out of that mindset of being like, okay, it has to be perfect i think the way the art therapy session is kind of um brought up to invite the family to come in mm-hmm. is very uh different it, it it won't be like an art class where we'll be okay. like okay let's draw this um yeah uh still life or something like that okay whereas like art therapy is more about like collaboration we'll get like the family members to work on like the same artwork mm-hmm. or like we'll kind of um, ask them to draw with both hands or draw with their eyes closed or um, get them to um, just explore very simple mm-hmm. uh, methods of art making but with the purpose of the communication and expression. Okay. Yeah. So it's a little bit more about team building rather yeah. than just who's closest to the finish line, who gets there first. No. So it's a little bit less stressful than I originally pictured in my mm-hmm. head. So when it comes to those sessions, how how many sessions would it take for like I know you say you don't it doesn't really solve it's not really aimed at solving anything, but how many sessions do you individuals or families really take to find it um beneficial i think even one session um i have many art therapy sessions with clients and even one session is beneficial oh wow okay so it's very immediate there's it's it's rewarding in a sense that it feels like you don't have to be great at something i guess Mm. I think, yeah. yeah, no, that's that's amazing because I am not artistic in any way, shape or form. So when I heard of art therapy, I was like, oh, great. Imagine me trying to, uh, the best I can do is a stick figure art. That's like the best that I can do. A stick figure could have a lot of meaning. True. That's very true. It can be drawn <laughs> yeah. in different ways. Yeah. <laughs> so when it comes to that focus, what kind of art do you usually find helpful for a family communication? So like what kind of art directives? Uh, art yeah. mediums? Or, art mediums. Yeah. Mediums. Mm. I I I don't know whether mediums is the best way to explore okay. explore it, but like it depends. It depends on what um what the purpose or the intention of the session is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. So, um, I'll just kind of give maybe a couple of things off the top of my head that I can do in a session with a family. So for example, like if I wanted to increase more kind of like play and communication Mm -hmm. within a family, I would kind of like have everyone in the family have a piece of paper Mm -hmm. and then like 
each one of them would take maybe 30 seconds to draw on the paper. Okay. And then like every every 30 seconds we'll move around the table mm-hmm. and then like they'll draw on each other's paper and then the next person, okay. next okay. person draw on each other's paper. And in the end, everyone would have drawn on everyone's paper. Yeah. And then that is kind of more to kind of like uh, assess how how comfortable they are like working as a group mm-hmm. and um, whether they felt any shyness or uh, uneasiness or mm-hmm. whether they were like completely um, happy with it. Mm-hmm. And sometimes when I've done that, like each group has a different way of working. You okay. know, it's like a style of their group, yeah. of how they work. And it dep- depends on, on the family of, you know, how they kind of do that together and it's a bit of problem solving as well yeah yeah okay so that's one thing and then another one that i love to do which is probably one of my favorite art therapy activities and i've developed it um my to do my own way Mm -hmm. is the bilateral drawing where you draw with both hands so like you draw intuitively with both hands Mm -hmm. and kind of have like an intention set before that and then like the drawing with both hands kind of like activates the right and left brain at the same time Mm -hmm. so it's kind of very effective for trauma and um they will and it, it is similar to EMDR where people use the eye movement desensitization mm. and it has that kind of effect as well. Okay. Similar. But then what I do is get them to process it with each other. So like we look at that abstract image yeah. just like you would look at clouds and okay. see what pops up for you in the image and your okay. intuition will link what is in the image. Okay. So they will see... Like, ah, oh, that reminds me that uh, my intention is linked to like what I see there. And then I get them to do it in four angles. So like we'll put it like one angle there and one angle there and one oh, angle there and one angle there. Okay. And usually there's like a journey that comes when you move it like all the different 360 degrees yeah. for them to see what the image speaks to them about. Oh, wow. So okay. that is also a very powerful art therapy invitation for family not just for family but anyone any group yeah yeah oh wow no that's that's so that is supposed to build a lot of communication and just sort of like understanding each other a little bit more that one is communication with each other yeah but also it's communication with your old self okay because it's what your intuition reminds you about okay yeah. So the first one where it gets like drawing each other's paper, yeah. is that a little bit more about sort of building trust between Yeah. Okay. Yeah. See I'm I'm starting to get it. No, yeah. it's no, it's very interesting because I've never like I said, I've never heard it and probably said that so many times on the show already. But when it comes to the idea of family building and that whole idea of um building trust, I know we were talking about this like prior to recording, but when it comes to the art mediums as well what kind of mediums do we usually work in like it's as simple as a piece of paper and sort of creating each other's yeah. art but do you deal with a little bit more um not structured but for lack of a better word structured sort of therapy art therapy sessions yeah okay. so with the mediums yeah okay so with the mediums there is this art therapy theory that most 
art therapies would know of called the expressive therapies continuum. Okay. And this continuum kind of classifies mediums in different um, continuums. Mm-hmm. Um, but for me, the continuum that speaks the most to my practice yeah. is the fluid and resistive continuum. Okay. So if you think about materials such as pens or textures or crayons, mm-hmm that would be considered resistive. Yeah. And the materials that are more fluid, like watercolour, uh, paint mm-hmm. and uh, inks and that kind of thing, they'll yeah. be on the other end of the spectrum, which is fluid. Okay. And I like to work with it. Uh, this is a very simplified way of putting it. Yeah. But like if you work with resistive materials, is people who usually choose that need a high level of control. They need to know how they're going to draw, mm-hmm. how they're going to create the artwork. They need to know exactly the outcome okay. of it. So like if I were to want people to express themselves more freely and let go of maybe perfectionism mm-hmm. or um, let go of their control in their family or whatever, I would yeah. guide them to work with more fluid materials such as watercolour or paint Mm -hmm. or inks. Okay. Yeah. But then if someone was going through like kind of challenging, challenges in focusing, Mm -hmm. challenges in kind of uh, uh, scheduling their time, time management or Mm -hmm. that kind of thing, a bit kind of a bit more chaotic, Mm -hmm. then I would guide them to work more with more resistive materials okay yeah so how do you go ahead and assess the individuals or even the families that what sort of technique would work best for them is there a process before beforehand that you sort of observe them a little bit more or do they tell you what they find trouble dealing in uh i usually have a form that they fill up okay as to like what they are what what is going on for them in their life yeah and then to uh inquire what they are hoping from the session mm-hmm. um if they have any diagnosis that kind of give me an understanding of what they're going through okay then when i come into the session i might give them like a selection of materials mm-hmm. of to work with yeah. you know i might use like um the one of like the founders of art therapy called kramer edith kramer okay she had this um uh assessment which is giving people like three different materials and see what they like to work with like clay mm-hmm. or ink or I can't remember what that is. it's just three different materials okay and then see what they are drawn to and this is especially for kids okay. to work with yeah yeah okay. but then like for me after I've kind of like assessed how they're going through if they're able to verbalize it mm-hmm. to verbalize what their challenges are in life and stuff then I'll just ask them to pick what material that they are drawn to. Yeah. Yeah. And then okay. I'll see how that links to my kind of um, analysis of what's going on and stuff. Okay. Yeah. So that um, that seems to be sort of just like, so for example, if you have clay, ink and maybe paper, if they sort of drawn to the clay, does that sort of mean something else? Like the meaning behind each of the choices are very specific or like this, the... Is it sort of connected to what our brain is wanting to get out of it, for example? Is it, mm. Or is it just sort of like what we pick is what we, is somehow what we want to be using? 
Uh, I I would say no hard and fast rule for that. Okay. Especially not. Yeah. Like we don't kind of uh interpret artworks and we don't kind of interpret what is going on for the client. So yeah. like even if someone has picked like a pen or something like that, yeah. I wouldn't just assume that they are uh, not a free person or anything okay. like that. But like I I think art therapy is more of like a journeying together with someone yeah because like i don't have all the answers yeah. for them okay and i i don't claim i don't tell them that i know how to fix all their problems yeah. you know i'm just journeying with them and the relationship that we have as a therapist and a client mm-hmm. creates a space for them to realize what they need themselves mm-hmm. so it's a very bottom-up approach okay. because like I'm not giving them like advice. I'm not giving them strategies or anything like that on how to improve their life. Yeah. But then it's more of like a process <laughs> for them to open up their own intuition for them to be able to understand what needs to be done for themselves. Okay. And that is the same when we talk about artwork, especially processing artwork. I yeah. said before that the art therapist, most people will ask me as an art therapist, do you interpret people's artwork? And my straightforward answer is no, I do not. Mm-hmm. I do not interpret people's artwork because people can be painting with the color red. Red can be passion. Red can be anger. Red can be love. Yeah. Red can be anything. So like, how am I supposed to like interpret someone's artwork just based on like what they have done? Yeah. But what I can do is provide a space for communication, for us to communicate, for them to realize themselves oh, okay. what it means to them. So they just sort of, they are the ones that interpret their own artwork rather than you do it themselves. So it's sort of like a self-realization technique, but you're just there as the person that sort of gives them the opportunity to realize it themselves. Oh, okay. Now that that makes a lot of sense. Now going into some of our strategies, some of the strategies that parents can adopt, what are some that you would recommend families use that they can try to get their family in each individual to sort of communicate through art? It depends. I I don't really know how to answer that because okay. it depends on what the family has gone through. Okay. Um, yeah, I don't know how to answer that. Oh, no, that's fine. <laughs> that's fine. I was just asking just because like, I'm sort of like seeing it as like if families want to know what's sort of going on in their child's minds, if they mm-hmm. can like draw a f- picture or because I know you don't interpret the artwork, but maybe like is it similar to kids as well where they sort of have that self-realization or do parents um, analyze the artwork a little bit more? No, okay. I wouldn't recommend that parents analyze the artwork, okay. especially when I met parents who work with kids who can't verbalize it themselves and then they tell me someone has interpreted it for them that is very problematic for me when I hear that or like if a parents come to me and like oh my son draw this and then like it means this I'm like no we shouldn't be doing that okay but like what I would say with parents is just to be curious just to play with Mm -hmm. their kids Mm -hmm. just to open a place for them to be safe Mm -hmm. to play and have fun yeah. Yeah. Okay. No, that's that's yeah. a really good sort of opening. So, do you not analyze your kids' drawings at any point because it may not mean may not mean what you think it means as well. I yeah. think. Like I think, especially when you're putting ideas in a kid's head, I feel like that's 
that's not really going to help the process no. of realizing of a yeah. child realizing it themselves. Now we're going to go into some of the practices and some of the practices that you do. Now, what is a practice that you do to improve your own your own communication? My own communication with my family. It oh. can be it doesn't have to be a family specifically. It can be just how you would communicate with any anyone else. I I I like to not assume I I like to not assume things <laughs> because um I I work with people from like lots of different backgrounds and I'm friends and I have family from like lots of different backgrounds. Yeah. So many times things work different ways in many cultures and groups and mm-hmm. individuals. So I I try not to just be too judgmental. Okay. And even even if like we disagree on something like I don't take it to heart. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. I think many people try to build their community mm-hmm. based on people who are similar to them. Yeah. And for me, maybe because I haven't had that opportunity to do that in my life, mm-hmm. I am just comfortable with constantly being someone that's different from everyone around me and that is quite refreshing and I wonder whether some people can adapt adopt that in their life as well just to be comfortable being Mm -hmm. the odd one out yeah no I think I think we sort of give a bad name to a lot of people who say that they're the black sheep or they're different from everyone else and um no I think that's a great that's a great practice I think to sort of just be one be less judgmental and not really assume so much about other people and to just be okay with how if you feel like you're the odd one out be okay with that and not try to be not try to be the person that sort of fits in in a category I think yeah. like so many people try to fit in in a category and I think a lot of the society is very systematic when it comes to trying to categorize a person so I think that's it, it is very refreshing when you're not I think that act of not trying to fit in yeah opens a lot of doors for people to just welcome you. Oh, yeah. 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 I feel it. And it, I also, I think I will say that Melbourne is probably the greatest mm-hmm. place yeah. to be able to be that way. That's why I love Melbourne. And feel that way. <laughs> <laughs> I, can, I can never leave. No I matter love how Melbourne. far I travel, I can never, I always come back. Yeah. So what are some of the challenges that you could face or that you have faced when trying to be, well, either of those three practices that you listed, have you found any challenges that may that you may um, they may have figured out? I think the challenge comes when people rely on me being an expert in things. Okay, and I just can't say that I'm built that way. Yeah, <laughs> so you're more the life life expert rather than or yeah. life like experience, yeah. rather life led. Rather than yeah. expert-led, I think for me, it, I don't know why this came up for me, <laughs> but just like you know how a lot of social media therapy you know, on therapists with social media, yeah. they're constantly like putting out like advice and strategies and that kind of thing. Yeah, and then I for me like I'm active on my social media, but like I have such a 
tough time trying to convey my message that way. Yeah. Especially in a space where it's non-conversational. I find things very difficult when it's not a conversation. Yeah. Because like everything is so subjective. Like even if I say like, oh, people need to uh, relax and do less work, that that is not the advice that you need to give everyone. No. You know, some people actually need to buck up and work harder. Yeah. You know, so yeah. like, so it's, I find it very hard, especially on social media in terms of the communication yeah. to be like, this is the three strategies you need to do for this or yeah. this or do this or especially when your audience is so yeah. wide yeah. and you you've got people who are like yeah, like you said people yeah. who need to work a little bit harder yeah. but people who really need to take a break yeah. and try not to think about yeah. things so much so i think not one size fits all no. when it comes to social media which i think yeah. is probably one of the biggest challenges yeah. and i think a lot of companies probably feel the same way mm. when it comes to giving advice i've i've heard that before where it's like some of the my friends one of my friends who is a um who is a psychologist she's like i'm trying to say this but i don't know how to say it with one without sounding like i'm putting anyone else down yeah. two without sounding like i'm giving bad advice and three like i'm trying like i know what i'm talking about yeah so yeah there's that whole like i said it's open open for interpretation yeah. and i think in this day and age we need to stop taking things too lightly yeah so no i think that is a big that is a big um, challenge that sort of comes about now, how do you think that the practice of sort of being being okay with who you are, how do you think that that is, that has made, that has an impact on your personal life? I think it has given me a lot of confidence mm -hmm. to be, and a lot of freedom. Yeah. To not try and conform to um, what people's ideas for me were. Firstly, mm -hmm. with my parents. Mm -hmm. And then secondly, with the society. Third, with friends, my clients, everyone. Like So, like, I have just um, a lot of the time always checked myself whether those considerations are trying to come in for yeah. me yeah and then just allowing myself to make an informed decision because like sometimes it's good sometimes it is good to kind of you know cater to people's needs and mm -hmm. i do i do really care for people's needs mm -hmm. but sometimes if you think systemically what it does mm -hmm. and then you see well okay you might cater to someone's needs for now and that might be good for now but what is the reper repercussion of that that it kind of builds that kind of society or expectation or anything like that yeah. whether it comes with parents your kids or um clients or yeah. work or anything like that okay no yeah. i think that's such a that's such a great way that you've described it as well so when it comes to the open mic, which is our very last section of the show, um, this gives you a chance to talk about anything that you are passionate about or anything that need, that you feel needs to get um, a little bit more attention, something that you want to promote a little bit more. Um, so in the last like minute or so, I'd love to give you the floor and sort of share what's on your mind today. Yeah. 
I think one thing that I did when I was preparing for this was the last thing I wanted to say mm-hmm. in terms of communication, which has brought me kind of a lot of peace with my relationships with my family, clients, partner and everything, was to be able to say sorry. Mm-hmm. And to be even able to say sorry when you're not wrong or when you're not completely wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, and that has granted me a lot of peace in my relationships because I realise um, that the polarity in life, mm-hmm. no one is completely right, no one's completely wrong, no one is the to blame and no one is not to blame as well. So like, it's to be able to just navigate um, being able to say sorry Mm -hmm. to your children, Mm -hmm. to your partner, to your spouse, to your parents, even when you know there's part of you that is like so right and Mm -hmm. you're the one that needs to be said sorry to. Yeah. Yeah. That's a big one. Yeah. That's a big one. And I think that's such a, um, that's one that, that cuts down a lot of people's ego. Yeah. And that's that's either combating with your ego or your pride so much, the fact that you can't say and admit. And it, it is the hardest thing to say sorry yeah. when you're, you know you're, that you're in the right, when you know that you're right, when you know that they're wrong, when you feel like they're what they're doing is wrong, what they're saying is wrong. Um, yeah, saying sorry is one of the hardest things. But uh, yeah, it's it's one of the things I feel like you learn when you're older. Not one of the things you learn as a teenager or as a child. That's not one of the, not something that you hear about its importance or learn about how impactful it is until you're older. And I had to go through a lot of my teenage years not really seeing the impact of saying sorry and of apologizing for a lot of, and for just even acknowledging the fact that you were wrong or acknowledging the fact that they were correct. Um, Yeah, I was never, I've learned that pretty later on in life. So yeah, that is yeah. a great message. But parents have a big role to model that as well. Yes. Yeah. Yes. No, that is that is great. Yeah. It's a great way to end the show saying parents, kids say sorry to each other more. And I think that's, yeah, that's so great to hear. So thank you so much for joining me on the show no today. Um, if there's a way that any audience members would like to get in contact with you, do you have a contact that I can give out to our audience? Sure. Uh, you can contact me via my website. We have okay. studios in Hawthorne and Footscray now. Oh, wow. And um, yeah, just contact me via the website or Instagram, art.therapy, T-E-A-R-A-P-Y. Yeah, yeah. No, no, that's a really <laughs> cool name. Yeah. You always remember it as well. It's such an easy way to remember. Yeah. Oh, thank you so much for joining me. Yeah. And thank you guys so much for listening and hope you guys learned as much as I did, especially about art therapy and definitely go and check it out a little bit more and get more information about it because I think it's very worthwhile. So I'll see you all in the next episode. Bye. You've been listening to All Together, the Family Science Insights Podcast, produced by the Family Science Labs, a division of LMSL, the Life Management Science Labs. More episodes are available from 10 Life Management Perspectives and can be found by searching LMSL on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and other podcasting apps available on your devices. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider rating our show, sharing it, and subscribing to our channel, as it helps other people find it so that we can grow and bring you more quality resources. More of our work can be found on our website at 
fa.lmsl.net where you can join our movement. I'm Dina Sargent. Thanks for tuning in.